Hello, definitely doomed and Wolfcast and Pod fans. Welcome back. Bye. Welcome back. I'm talking to myself since apparently I took a year break from doing something that I thought I could keep up with. We won't get into that too deeply, but we're back and hopefully we'll be being more consistent in the future until we're finished watching the show. We've got uh, some news and updates on things that are going on. If you've read the title or description of this episode, you know that this is a bonus episode. It's not going to be one of our episode-by-episode podcasts. We've decided that we wanted to talk about specifically uh, the letter that uh, Joss Whedon's ex-wife, Kai, wrote about him and the questions that sexual harassment are raising in terms of the film and television world. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be doing a roundtable podcast on that. That's what this is going to be. But there's also some other things that I need to tell you about. First and foremost is that Marsha's schedule has changed. So for the foreseeable future, Kara will be joining us as the new host of Wolfcast and Pod. Hello, Kara. Yo. If you are a <laughs> Loose Cannon's listener, you may have heard her on the We Need to Talk About Kevin uh, podcast, but she's a longtime friend of mine and a very smart film and television thinker. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Okay. She is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. Uh, long time, first time recorder. So <laughs> thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, and the other update is that, uh, well, this is, I guess, a two-part update is one that even though I haven't released the episodes in a long time, I did have recorded episodes in the bank. So you will be hearing some episodes that we recorded from last year. So one, Marsha's going to be on the first couple before Carol will be jumping in, and obviously if you hear anything that sounds really strangely out of date, like discussions of Hillary winning elections and things like that, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the reason why. Mm. Haven't really discussed this, but maybe changing the format up a little bit, discussing with the hosts after this podcast, but let's uh, do this podcast, hopefully. It will go well. So we're, this is going to be a literal roundtable. And it, we, you know, I came up with some questions, but we're just going to sort of circle around, make sure everybody gets a chance to ask questions and answer them. So we're going to start off with the first most broad one, of course, and that's um, where do you land on the art versus artist subject? And uh, we're going to start off with Basil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, this is a... Tough question, I guess. I mean, I think that I tend to take a harder stance than a lot of people, but not, like, in a really disciplined or principled way. Like, I I, I make some decisions and then I sort of stick to them, but that I'm, you know, uh, not really great at, I don't know, just, like, deciding that uh this is like a really like i never know how, if i if i feel like it's actually that great a thing like the examples that i would go to are people like woody allen and roman polanski who i've decided are uh 
people I don't want to support financially, so until they're both dead, uh, I won't see any of their movies in the theater or any kind of way in which I'd have to pay to watch the movie. And for the most part, I haven't watched any either of their movies in uh, a bit of time. But, uh, yeah, but I don't know that I have that many people besides that that I feel that strongly about, at least not until recently things have come up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there's ways in which you can argue for both things, but uh, it's just a matter of me, like, again, like, I don't have, like, a thing that really strongly backs it up except an emotional reaction of being like, oh, I don't like this person, and so I don't want them to have any of my money. Okay, I'll, I'll um, go next then, I guess. Um, which is to say, I think I have a little bit of a different idea of art in general, I think, than the public, especially when it comes to film and television, which are collaborative arts, which is that I try to avoid the auteur theory, and it's certainly not how I think, like, I think, you know, directors or writers or actors, people I give a lot of maybe credit to for certain things that... Um, I use it a lot of the time to choose what I'm going to watch, but I don't use it in terms of like uh, feeling that the way that art works is they create a thing that's an expression of their beliefs, and then I'm just a depository for it as an audience. Like I can watch something, um, and you know I am participating in the creation of the art. Uh, as as an audience uh, member and so therefore like to me like uh, I kind of agree with like Basil's economic point like you know I don't want to support people in the future that I feel you know fairly confident um, have done something wrong especially those uh, who have done kind of the phony apology tour um, in order to work their way back into the system uh, Polanski probably being the biggest example there. Mm -hmm. um, but that I don't feel like, you know, if I watch a Polanski film, that I'm necessarily, like, getting the themes of a rapist, that I can right. watch one of his films and I don't necessarily feel like, you know him being a bad person means that he created something that's going to have a bad ideology. Right. That makes yeah, sense. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I think that that's a fair thing. And yeah, I mean, like, Polanski is, like, a one that is sort of tougher for me because I do like Rosemary's Baby and I do like Chinatown and a few of his other earlier films. But that, yeah. Woody Allen's a little easier, but only because I hate his movies as much as I hate him as a person. I've got to say, I really liked The Tenant. But yeah, I've never seen that one. It's a good one. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that 
Something that I've come to terms with is that all environments and all working cultures have a degree of misogyny, <laughs> whether mm -hmm. it's something that is really, uh, I don't know, just, uh, I don't know how to say benign. Benign isn't the right word, but um, less mm, aggressive or problematic versus mm -hmm. very aggressive and problematic. Um, so I think that there's just an industry lens that needs to be sort of put on top of things. And, uh, because, oh my God, the patriarchy, <laughs> like there's going to be stuff that's, uh, very questionable in, in every kind of creative field. Um, and I'm not using that as an excuse to say that, uh, artists, can get away and have carte blanche to be able to be awful people. Um, I would just say that there probably are awful people who have created things and we're not even aware of how awful they were. So um, I think that in my, the way that I behave or the way that I view when somebody is identified as being abusive or aggressive or sexually hostile, um, I don't want to support them financially. That's, um, I think that that's the easiest way as a consumer to uh, show that you don't agree with their uh, behavior. Um, but at the same time, there's stuff that has been made. And for example, like, as I said, the tenant and Rosemary's baby, I, I don't know, there's, there's some merit to those pieces, um, aside from what uh, has surfaced as being pretty terrible behavior by the creator. Um, so I don't know, I'm not answering this question very well, am I? It's, um, um, it's, not it's a, a dichotomy. <laughs> it's a really tough one. I like your point about how all environments are misogynistic, and I agree that, mm. you know, it's a matter of, uh, like, a lot of times it's a matter of drawing lines to, you know, as to what is behavior that's worth really throwing the thing out for and what mm. is... I don't know, the type of, um, like, if we were to move it to, say, just, like, a personal relationship between, like, two people, like, any two people in a long term, even friendship or anything, are going to hurt each other sometimes ignorantly and sometimes maliciously, and, you know, drawing boundaries and figuring out, like, whether or not it's a thing that you can work through and come back from you know, it's something that we all understand on like an individual level, but when it becomes uh, two groups, it becomes a lot more complex because you're not talking about just two people negotiating what their personal feelings and boundaries are. Um, yeah, my, I mean, you know, my general feeling about it is well, tends to be, I think, that, like, as good as certain movies are by people like that, like, there are tons of creative people out in the world mm -hmm. who would make really good stuff, so there's a certain degree in which I 
get upset about like the idea of you know Mel Gibson or Polanski or you know anybody like people being like okay we're gonna keep giving you money to do projects and that is money that could go to other creative people who yeah. aren't known rapists and stuff Let's just give all of that money to uh, female writers and directors. Yeah, I, I would say that, like, I think one of the things that I'm a little bit talking about here is, well, I guess what we're sort of getting into is, like, past art versus future art. Like, mm-hmm. if you said, like, Polanski's not allowed to direct films anymore, I would say, okay, I mean, maybe that's a slight loss, but probably in the scheme of things, the the signal that that would make in terms of future gains would be much higher. It's a weird economic way to think of things. But if someone were to like, because Polanski is a bad person, no one should watch Rosemary's Baby again, I'd be like, oh, I don't know how I feel (laughs) about that. Um, Yeah, like, you know. Right, I agree. I mean, I think that, yeah, that there isn't, I mean, well, like, on uh, the other podcast on Loose Cannons or whatever, I had previously heralded Louis C.K.'s special from this year, and, like, I don't regret enjoying that just because I found out that uh, the things about him that were rumored were even more pervasive and true than uh, it had maybe initially seemed, but... uh, and that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily not ever watch it again just because he's a terrible, gross person. But I would also be fine with him disappearing from making stuff forever. <laughs> I think there's something about going back, too, and seeing the previous works and putting that lens on them mm-hmm. um, and viewing the treatment of specific characters as uh, potential lenses into how that uh, creator perceived that type of character. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. In terms of Rosemary's Baby, for example, Mia Farrow's character, um, was she, you know, <laughs> really uh, treated in a way that was super... Uh, progressive or was she being treated as like an autonomous being or like were there some subtexts there that are interesting to look back at in hindsight and sort of say yeah there were some problems with those characterizations and the men in that film had all of the power in terms of like just from a creative perspective how how were people treated? I think that that's an interesting um, kind of yeah, perspective. A, I mean, that's not exactly in the scope of what we were planning to talk about. But <laughs> Sorry. I, no, no, no. I wasn't saying that in a bad way, but I was just saying that, that, like, for me, that's, like, an even thornier thing to, like, like where, you know, you hear about art where, like, actors were mistreated intentionally on the set in order to achieve certain uh, artistic results. And it's, like... Right. How do you feel about then, like enjoying those movies? That's pretty. Uh, that's and we pretty can get into thing. like Darren Aronofsky, which yeah. is something that Ruben has brought up before. And there's like a whole, 
a whole amount of baggage to unpack there. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm mean, sorry that I for love. going like, into no, that fine. territory. Like, um, like The Shining or whatever, Shelley yeah. Duvall's experience yeah. on that movie was pretty notoriously horrible, but I uh-huh. do love that movie, and that's something that I <laughs> don't know how to reconcile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I just wanted to sort of bring this question, I guess, to add a little bit, which is that I think when a lot of, because we've talked about some things not really related to that, a lot of people, when they say art versus artist, what they're saying is they're giving themselves an out, like, Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I can like the art and not like the artist, and that's okay. And I think we're all on the same page that, like, mm-hmm. even if we still like the art, that we're taking it to account. Um, uh, not liking the artist, we're not looking for... Basil's not looking for excuses to defend Louis C.K. And if he mm-hmm. goes back and watches his work, you know, he's taking into account, like who he is as a person when evaluating it and what that means for the art. Right, I think that the the art versus artist, like, when it's used that way, it's like a hand-wavy way to, like, not both not deal with uh, the, like, fact that they like art made by a terrible person <laughs> and also not actually deal with the fact that the artist is a terrible person because... <laughs> You know, like as soon as you're like, no, 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 it's different. I don't have to like the artist. Like, I feel like when it's framed that way, they're not actually that mad at the artist. Because if they were, then they would feel differently. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, it feels like a way to sort of uh, discourage a debate about it because they don't want to really ever admit that someone who made a bunch of movies they love is actually a really shitty person. But, uh, um, oh yeah, so on to the next question, um, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, but we'll get more in depth on. Uh, Does it make a difference if it's a TV show or movie as opposed to a musician or writer because more people are involved in the creative work? Uh, the Lexi Alexander, who's a TV director and also directed a few movies, uh, had a post about the sort of problems inherent to that. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I guess, um, back to Ruben. No, Kara. Oh, it doesn't matter how, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you jumped in after I talked last time, so I wasn't sure how, which round way this Let's round table Let's just be really going. egalitarian about this. Um, I think that it does make a difference, absolutely. I think that musicians and writers have this autonomy, um, in a sense, where they are the creators and they are the ones who are ultimately responsible for the work that they do. Um, yes, there are record label labels or um, publishers, publishers that have some investment in in their work, but it doesn't affect the same breadth of people. But the thing that I would say about TV and film is that it is a precarious industry uh, in that a show can be canceled at any time, and you don't know necessarily how to prepare for that, or a film can you know, go over budget and off schedule and people end up getting cut from their, their production jobs. So 
I think that there's this uh, this knowledge within the industry that there is um, some potential uh, fluctuation in the security of their jobs. And they have the, hopefully, they have the connections and the contacts with producers to be able to jump into another project if something goes really awry. Um, and I think in this case, there's a lot that's happening at the same time, and there are a lot of projects that are being canceled uh, because of recent uh, events. And uh, I, I just would hope that there are enough projects that exist that don't have uh, abusive people who are at the helm or who are intrinsically involved to the point that, um, you know, people are going to lose their livelihood in this one instance that they can bounce into another direction and onto a new project that hopefully surfaces to replace um, some of the some of the ones that have gotten cut. So that's sort of like my initial my initial thought, and my initial standpoint. And maybe it's a challenging opinion, and uh, I can understand and I can empathize completely with the people who have been on projects that have been helmed by Louis C.K. or that have been, um, you know, like Kevin Spacey, <laughs> um, very much centered uh, that have ended up in situations where they have to look for their next gig. But I think that there is an understanding at the same point, like, yeah, things can, things can get canceled. Things can go haywire for a multitude of other reasons at the same time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with, uh, you, I think that there's a big difference. And I think like, you know, in the case of like, I don't know, a radio host or an author or something, they do something terrible and just like taking their work off shelves or off air, you know, has a little enough splashback and is just a concentrated enough punishment that it's the kind of thing that, you know, consumers should definitely choose. But like, if you think about television, especially like, okay, the writer's room is tends to be like a pretty consistent group with like a showrunner. And if like awful behavior was going on, there like maybe they were complicit but like most directors are just gun for hire on on television shows moving from program to program and if you know for instance you directed like 50 episodes of the cosby show and have been retired for 20 years living off residuals like your income completely unexpectedly just like disappeared two years ago because cosby show doesn't play anywhere anymore yeah. and like it's hard for me to feel like you know, that the correct way to punish Bill Cosby for being a horrible person is for everybody who worked on that show to also be punished along with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's a tough thing, I think, because also, like, there is a sense in which... I mean, obviously, it's a lot about, like, optics and covering your ass so like you know maybe like whatever station ha had Cosby show in syndication they're like pulling it because they're like well if we keep showing the Cosby show people are going to be upset like why are you still showing the Cosby show and 
then they'll have to deal with that backlash and it's like a kind of uh no I guess no win situation really like you know I mean I don't know that they I mean the, but also like I think that um in terms of current stuff I'm actually pretty happy with what Transparent did which is uh they essentially fired Jeffrey Tambor but I mean he quit but he quit because he's gonna get fired and um uh but they're still continuing the show without him, like they're doing another season without him, which is interesting because, like, you know, that creates a whole lot of challenges for the writers to have, you know, uh, a show called Transparent without the titular Transparent. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, uh, I think that that's like, that is definitely a more, I think, principled way to go. Just got the double meaning of that title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks well for that done. pause. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, we again, we already brought this up, but I think that there's a more interesting discussion about past and present art. But mm-hmm. it sounds like we're all on the same table of being like, yeah, take away known abusers' ability to create more stuff. Like they yeah. shouldn't. They shouldn't yeah. continue to get a seat at the table, right? Just because we were thought they were talented uh, once upon a time. For sure, uh, and but I was yeah like in comparison to say House of Cards or whatever. Like I feel like, you know, I mean especially people have argued like that uh, Robin Wright is like the real star of that show anyway, so that it could it would have been fairly easy if Netflix was kind of creative enough to just, you know, I don't know, maybe literally throw Kevin Spacey's character under a bus and then (laughs) keep the show going. He got hit by a bus. (laughs) There's nothing we could do. Turns out the first five seasons were just a dream in Robin Wright's (laughs) (laughs) Robin Wright wakes up. (laughs) Oh my god, what was that? Um... I guess moving on to the next question, uh, if everybody's ready for that. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's just move right along. Uh, does the viewing audience have a responsibility to reward and or punish uh, creatives for their real-life actions? And if so, what is that responsibility and reward and punishment? Um well, you used my word, which was responsibility, and I would say, no, they don't have a responsibility. It's not mm. on audiences' uh, shoulders, I think, to make sure that Hollywood is a moral or well-judicated place. We have institutions that are supposed to take care of those things, um, and I do would say that I would like feel uncomfortable if like a friend told me that they were a big Woody Allen fan, like shaming them for continuing to watch his movies and being like, it's your fault. It's like, what's well, not their <laughs> fault? <laughs> it's Woody Allen's fault that he did all the things that he did. And then secondarily, it's the, you know, um, already mentioned patriarchal system, systematic patriarchy that exists that keeps him in a position of creativity and power so I'm a little uncomfortable with you know but it doesn't mean that I'm unsupportive of doing it 
because it does work. Um, and even though I am an anti-capitalist person, I know that we do still live in a capitalist society and that market forces make changes. And if, um, you know, changes need to be made and they're not coming from the top, you know, I'm very supportive of people making those changes, but responsibility, no, I don't think that its audience needs to make things good in Hollywood or elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, like, this, I feel like the kind of thing that um, makes that the onus is then putting audiences in an impossible position of, like, I don't know, you know, like, we are inherently limited by the system to, like, certain numbers of choices and certain numbers of things, and that, like, people who like watching movies or like watching television, you know, there are a lot of different options, but it's still, like, you know, created from the top down and then supplied to us, and, like, you know, to use other kinds of uh, analogous stuff or whatever, like... Amazon.com, like, it is, Jeff Bezos is pretty, obviously, a really terrible person, who's also now the richest person in the world, and, like, you know, but you can't put the onus necessarily on people to be like, it's your fault that Amazon's big, like, and that Amazon exists, like, you know, I mean, really, really poor antitrust laws are <laughs> and implementation of those laws is like why he's around but uh you know that like people individually can have a lot of power but it is like extremely difficult to mobilize that power especially with so many people like lacking in financial options or whatever so like you know being like oh, we're all going to decide not to go see this Woody Allen movie in a way that almost doesn't even matter because, like, his movies don't, like, make a lot of money. Like, he makes them for fairly cheap, and then, you know, they make enough that he gets to keep making them. But, like, it's not like they're huge blockbusters. And uh, that, I mean, you know, so... Like, there's only so much people can do, and again, you know, in the same way of punishing, like we talked about with the previous question, like, that, you know, some grip doesn't deserve not to have a paycheck anymore, just because, like, Brett Ratner directed the movie that he worked on. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, and I think that studios are now finally making those decisions as well. Um, mm -hmm. and punishing people uh, for for being just shitty generally. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that as a consumer, as a viewer, um, if you are woke, hate <laughs> using that word, <laughs> enough to realize that there's some problematic behavior behind the uh, the pieces that you may otherwise be interested in seeing, then that might give you pause. Um, you know, if, if a piece is, is produced and, and gets into the wider population to say like, Hey, I, I don't support this. So 
um, yeah, succinctly, that's my, my POV. Okay. Um, all right. So probably talking a little bit more about Buffy and Angel now, but can someone who is a hypocrite, you know, someone who claims to be a feminist, for instance, uh, in their work and then is not a feminist in their real life, make positive art about said topic, or does their lack of humanity prevent it? If they can make positive art, are there limitations on their ability because of their real life hmm. lack? Basil? Yeah, I mean, I would say as someone who has spent a fair amount of time talking about Buffy and in enjoying the show Buffy, I think that there is a way in which, like, you know, it. I feel like as a person in general, it is very easy to have strong principled ideas about the way the world should work and then it is much harder to be that person all the time in real life. Like, you know, that, like I'm not trying to give Joss Whedon a pass, but I would say that, you know, for myself, like it is very easy for me to feel like, okay, like it's not okay to let like misogynist behavior or racist behavior off the hook but when I'm in a social situation in which someone I know is espousing those beliefs it's still very difficult for me to like muster the social energy to try and call them out and you know face like what I know is going to be an awkward confrontation and so I think that like you know when a person is creating work they can kind of tap into their uh, sort of, you know, ideas relating to the world. And, like, you're a little bit able to put your best foot forward, I think. But I do, uh, but I do also feel that there are limitations in the sense that, like, to me, Buffy's never struck me as, like, an especially feminist show. It's like <laughs> a show with, like strong female characters but like i wouldn't call it feminist except in the same way that you know anything with like a badass woman <laughs> gets labeled as a feminist film these days or feminist media like i think that there's uh it's a show that has a lot of very smart ideas and deals with like a, a range of issues very intelligently but like it's not a thing that to me jumps out as being which is sort of why I I mean even before all this stuff came out like Joss Whedon's sort of uh, self-identified feminism always rubbed me the wrong way because I was like <laughs> you know I mean like it's a second wave type of thing but like there was like a certain no 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 I mean like like there are lots of women uh, from the second wave thing where like men can never be feminists they can't do it like it's not possible because there, uh, and I think that in some ways I actually agree with that. So, like, it's whenever a guy is like, "I'm a feminist," I'm like, "No, you're not. You can't be. You're a guy." <laughs> well, that's very Andrea Dworkin of yeah. you to say. Um, can we? I, I've already sworn. Can we swear on this yeah. podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. nobody cares. Well, on that same 
train. I would say that Joss Whedon has never struck me as a feminist, right. ever. I would say that just telling stories about women that you want to fuck doesn't make you a feminist. Like, <laughs> just to be super clear, because that is really what his stories are about. And I think that that's really problematic. And yes, he so has strong fem female characters, um, and they come across as like badass fighters, but they're not badass women. Like they don't, they don't actually. Oh, <laughs> like, I mean, I would say, uh -oh. I would say that from from just one woman's perspective of watching these, like his oeuvre, if you will, um, I feel like the characters are made to be super strong and super like fighty but it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't need to be saved by a man and i think that that's that's kind of part of what this uh outing by kai cole was where like he had admitted that he was surrounded by all of these beautiful needy aggressive young women and I think that needy and beautiful are the key points there where it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's totally what you're into. That's your fetish dog. Like you yeah. just need to own it. And but, that's how yeah. he portrays his, his female characters. Not to get like, I mean, I'm getting super deep into it at this point, but I think that, that that's the core problem and that's the core issue that I have with his work. Mm -hmm. um, well, we're going to be tying in a lot of, other things I think when I talk about this so first of all like we've said before film and television is created with lots of people working together so maybe Joss Whedon can't contribute anything feminist to the show but maybe Marty Naxon and Jane Espenson can totally totally and maybe you know Joss Whedon writes a kind of thin speech but Sarah Michelle Gellar delivers it in such a way that adds a level of humanity to a character that wasn't on the written page and you know now we have a strong woman character even and not strong in terms of being able to punch people but in terms of being well-rounded and having uh, something that women can look at and identify with and understand is on the same page and someone that they you know feel like represents them um mm -hmm. and pushes their ideas forward um and uh i would say that i this is i think especially true of louis ck but probably true of just sweden as well that at least earlier in their careers, I think they were both knowledgeable of their issues and their art is in a way them trying to reckon with it, which is something that I think is interesting. But because, well, I'm not going to say I know why this happened, but as they became seen as allies because they were trying to recon reconcile their own problems, it made them into a person who thought that that was enough. Mm -hmm. um, and that at a certain point, they were no longer trying to figure out like what was wrong with their behavior and how to become a better person and more just like vomiting up their sins on the screen for other people to mm -hmm. indulge in. Um, 
I recently rewatched Dollhouse, and I thought it was interesting, but I felt very strongly that way about it, which is that basically all Dollhouse has to say, which I think is different from Buffy and Angel, is uh, men are really sick. Look at all the <laughs> sick things that men do. But then none of the women characters are, like, interesting enough to, like... Yeah. Want to, like, invest in or anything like that. And it's like, well, now you're not really... You've become... You've still become, like, a misogynist egoist, but in a different way. In a way that you're just, like, focused really on how fucked up you are. As opposed to, like, trying to potentially help make a better world for women or make space for them to tell their stories um right it's like the bukowski thing or whatever look how disgusting i am (laughs) isn't it gross how gross i am but isn't it also honest how honest (laughs) i am about being gross (laughs) and that absolves you right yeah Yeah. that's the best i mean it's interesting because i i Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I I guess I'll just say that I think that this is kind of like Hitchcock probably did it best, but that we're still sort of stuck in this post-Hitchcock mode where like in with Vertigo and Rear Window, he was like, blah, I've like, look at how horribly like I treat women. And like, it was like Mm -hmm. a level of confession and honesty that I think we hadn't seen before in a film. And people are like, that seems like a good method <laughs> let's not actually re- yeah. rehabilitate the misogyny let's just vomit it up on the screen and it's like mm-hmm. no yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say um oh uh, oh um that's um the sort of like uh oh yeah 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 like when the whole open letter thing came out there was like um you know a tweet that got pretty popular that it was like really is any of us surprised that uh Joss Whedon is Xander and I was like no because he's very obviously Xander like he like we we shouldn't be surprised because he's admitting early in the show that he is Xander like like that that is the character and and Xander's really gross in the beginning uh, but like I feel like you know that the the creation of Xander is like a pretty obvious cipher for the kind of person that Joss Whedon was slash is. And so, like, it's like, you know, uh, doesn't seem, I don't know, like, uh, (laughs) like, even before all this stuff came out, like, that's very obvious. And sort of, like, as Ruben was saying, like, it is an attempt at least to, like, reconcile with like nerdy teen boys and how disgusting and selfish they can be. Well, stop being a man child, I guess, yeah. is my comment to that. But I mean, as as Ruben mentioned as well, like Marty Noxon had a different kind of tone and a different take a little bit on on the pieces that he was heavily involved in. And I would say that like the whole all abusers are male kind of theme was was a Marty Noxon kind of uh, perspective. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that there you're right. There are there are different takes. There are different people who are involved who make um, who make a singular 
uh, I don't know, series. Mm -hmm. um, and there are different representations of ideologies that sort of come into that. I think that the stuff that made me really uncomfortable about Buffy specifically was just the the break the cutie trope, if you guys are familiar. But it's pretty self-explanatory. Well, just in case the listeners... <laughs> I feel like I've lost you. Explain it anyway. <laughs> I haven't heard specifically um, of that trope, no. I've heard it. Okay, well, the break the cutie trope is about, like, taking a distressed damsel, like somebody who is... Um, really sweet and innocent and then putting them through these torturous situations so you see that in dawn you see that in tara uh in buffy specifically and it's it's kind of like this weird torturous um really uh misogynistic kind of kind of view of treating your characters and and i don't know i i feel like yeah between between the different people who are involved in the show, you see these different themes kind of emerge, and um, there's there's validity to that. I think it's just in in my perception, watching on first watch Buffy and Angel and Firefly even and Dollhouse. I hate Firefly. My take <laughs> <laughs> my takeaway was Joss is kind of fucked up. Um, but the episodes that had uh, other people wh whose voices shone louder or came across louder um, were actually more interesting to me. Um, I'm getting off topic again. I just keep getting no, off topic. I, well, we're focusing specifically on this show as opposed to generally, which is okay because this is a Buffy Angel podcast technically. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, uh, I guess I'm curious as to whether or not you feel like Connor <laughs> goes through <laughs> similar things and whether or not it's different for him or cause I, I think that the shows can treat their characters misanthropically, but I didn't notice. I remember someone once pointing out to me, they were like, every, you know, major woman character on uh, Buffy or Angel either goes evil or dies. And I was like, well, I never thought about that. That's pretty insane that that's true. And then I went, wait, that's true of all the male characters as well. Like, he just makes everyone go evil or die. Like, uh, I, it's a very misanthropic show to its character. It's very much a... And I'm, I have other problems with the idea that, like, suffering creates, like, strength. Um, but I definitely think that the show is invested in that idea and doesn't... Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've noticed it that um, Don goes through more than Connor or Cordelia goes through more than Angel or... I don't. Do you feel well, that I think way? It, I think it's a, tr <laughs> it's tragedy, right? Yeah. And I, you're right. There is a balance in the tragic. Um, I would say that Tara is probably the most tragic, 
of all of the characters. Portera. No. <laughs> no, I, I said. You I said no. I said Portera because I like her so much. Portera. <laughs> she just. She was the most tragic. Um, she was the Ophelia. Yeah, she was she, she the was anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, she was, and that's is, that's unfair. But you're right. There are. But in another woman's storyline, instead of a man's, <laughs> she she gets pushed into the refrigerator to advance Willow's <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, arguably, like Riley was also kind of a abu- like. I mean, everybody sort of went. You're right. Everybody kind of went through their <laughs> own hell. I would I would agree. Um, and I'm just speaking about Buffy because I don't want to spoil too much about Angel, knowing that we're going to go into season two. Yeah. Um, That's fine. I'm assuming anyone <laughs> who's still listening to the show has seen the show all before. It would be very weird to be watching the show for the first time and also like waiting a year to <laughs> keep watching. I just only they're coming back. I know they're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and say that if we're going to go episode by episode in Angel and we're only at like the beginning of season two, then then I'm I'm going to be like true to where we're at at this point. Okay, but you're but... gonna spoil my show. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen Buffy? No, I have, yeah. but we're we're yeah. not done in my show either. Yeah, we're, we're only in season five. So, uh, well, in terms of re- in terms of releases, <laughs> both are at the ones at the Buffy's at the end of season four and Angel's at the end of season one. In terms right. of actual releases, in terms of recording, yes, we're at the beginning of season two and season five. Yeah, but I was just <laughs> I was just making a joke. But Fair enough. Like, uh, spoil one of the two, the <laughs> one you're not on. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, I digress. No, no, no. I, no, it's I, fine. I think uh, it's it's true. There, there are yes. Everybody is broken. Everybody is <laughs> turned into an evil character, or else they die. Um, but I mean, there is some redemption for some characters, and usually, I don't know. Like I would say that. Um, the ones who were redeemable were the ones who ended up suffering the most. And except for those... poor, poor, mm-hmm. except for poor, poor Cordelia, <laughs> kicked off the show for getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. How dare she? But uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, no, it's fine. Like uh, the. Okay, so this is kind of a sub-question to the question we just did, which uh, is, like, can an artist who is a hypocrite or such um, make positive art that is about something else? Like, you know, if Joss Whedon, through his own sort of transparent fake allyship, uh, can't really make good feminist art, can he make good art generally? And... Even if not, can an audience take a positive reading out of a limited text? Like, is the audience's reaction to something necessarily limited by uh, the, you know, the ideology of the person who created it or people who created it? And passing it off to Kara. I think something that was the most interesting to me that um joss wheaton did was actually film i thought that 
Cabin in the Woods was a neat departure from his uh, TV kind of tropes in that he was able to focus on more of a male-centric, less feminist-centric sort of uh, topic and was able to really play up that uh, that interesting kind of um, horror movie trope. So I would say that in that case, um, maybe he should focus more on the stuff that isn't about badass, <laughs> like quote-unquote badass women, and it, it might be... I like the word um, empowerful. A little bit more... That's what, Sorry? Yeah, I, yeah empowered. instead of empow empowered, it's empowerful. I read it on a blog. I can pull it up again if you want. And it's uh, the type of... They didn't weren't talking about... Joss Whedon, they were talking about Nike commercials of the 90s, which was like right. the badass woman athlete who was badass enough to wear a really short skirt where you could just barely see her ass. Like, that's how <laughs> powerful she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, get rid of the empowerful, like, fetishy shit that you're doing and start focusing more on the... Uh, Maybe he just needs to focus on men. Maybe that's just his steez. Like, take a break. Yeah, I mean, I that's sort of my opinion as someone who uh, attempts to be and fails to be an ally, probably mostly, is that, uh, <laughs> you know, men should focus on how they can help other men be less bad. Uh, how they themselves can be less bad and how they can listen better. White people should focus on how white people can be less bad and how they can listen better to people of color as opposed to trying to tell their stories for them. Um, the answer to, you know, this... Uh, question I've already basically said which is uh, obviously I feel yes they can make positive art about something else and uh, I am very much a champion of uh, alternate interpretations for the audience they're not restricted to what the artist wanted to say if you want to claim that I don't know The Shining is comedy for instance <laughs> <laughs> like I do, uh, you should. And you should make your argument, and your argument stands on its own, separate from uh, whatever the artists say that they put into it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, as far as <laughs> Cabin in the Woods goes, yeah, I think Cabin <laughs> in the Woods is great. And one of the things that I think is really good about it is that whether intentionally or not, sort of the basic idea of the movie is that all these people work in this like factory or whatever and they create this product and they all know that it's wrong, but because they all just do one widget, you know, then they're, they've all wiped their hands of actually being, you know, part of the problem, you know. And so it's uh, a very nice sort of commentary on like the whole filmmaking tv making atmosphere like they're creating this story and they know that they're putting these images out into the world that have real life consequences for how people see themselves and see the world 
you know, but you're just the grip, you're just the cinematographer, all you did was write it, and then there's <laughs> some unseen head of the company <laughs> that all the blame gets passed up to at the right <laughs> at the top. Um, it's a nice commentary. <laughs> yeah, ideally I wouldn't like to be doing it this way, but the head of the studio said it's got to be this way, and I want to make a living. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of nice like satirical jabs at his own work in terms of like when there people realize that things are going wrong in Cabin in the Woods, they all remember that they're not actually the stereotypes that. <laughs> they've been acting like up until that point they've put you know poison in the blonde woman's hair or whatever or they've been mm -hmm. giving like special thinking gases to the <laughs> one guy so that he becomes more nerdy because you got to have the sensitive one the nerd. <laughs> yeah. all right. um, and all that stuff is like pretty smart and funny in my opinion <laughs> mm. <laughs> totally and I think that, in a way, you know, I mean, he's, like, because it's a movie, it's a little bit more easier to get away with something that is essentially just an exercise in, like, genre critique as opposed to, like, you couldn't really sustain a whole TV show that's just, like, making fun of genre tropes <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, that's what season one of Buffy is in many ways, and, and it's not very good. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ooh, on to the next question. Is it me? Did I skip you? I can't remember. No, it's it's Kara because you did the okay. intro one and then. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is the rehabilitation question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The really intense one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of these questions have been intense. <laughs> But it's yeah, really this late, is like trigger warning, everyone. This is tough. Yeah. This is a tough one, you guys. Like, Sweet I feel dog. like I'm going to have put my foot in my mouth about a million times, and if I listen back on this, I'm just going to cringe a whole bunch because we might yeah. all feel that way. Yeah, I we should all <laughs> celebrate ourselves for being strong enough to put all of our terrible opinions out there to the world. I don't think we should celebrate. I think we should really just like take a step back and go into self-loathing. But um, do you think rehabilitation is possible? Do you think that an infrastructure for it exists? And if it doesn't, then do you have an idea of what it might look like if there were that infrastructure? Um. My answer would have been really straightforward not that long ago. I would have said yes. I think rehabilitation is possible. Um, and I would have said no, the structure doesn't exist. And that no, I don't know what it exactly should look like. But that I believe in humanity. And I believe in individual humans' <coughs> ability to progress. And over the last year and a half or so, I've become a much more cynical person. And I believe that I believe I still believe in rehabilitation, but I also now believe some people cannot be rehabilitated, which I did not believe before. I used to believe everyone could. Um, mm -hmm. What changed? N Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's reasonable and fair. Um, Jesus. Something that I didn't really have to deal with uh, overtly in my life, even though I knew it had happened and existed. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to rehabilitate people who are marching with Nazi flags. I want to yeah. set them on fire. <laughs> I don't yeah. have any sympathy for them. And because I recognize this in myself as a Jewish person looking at white nationalism, it's very easy for me to now transpose that idea to being a woman looking at Harvey Weinstein and feeling the exact same way. And so therefore I do feel that way about Harvey Weinstein. I don't want, I don't want him, I, I don't just not want him to not be involved in the film industry anymore. I don't want him to be involved in the world anymore. <laughs> I want him to be in jail or to die. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any uh, empathy for him as a human being. Some people, I, I do still believe that they could be rehabilitated, but I don't know what that path looks like exactly. I also don't 100% think that it would really be up to me to determine it. Uh, I think probably women should weigh in on what the path of rehabilitation for uh, someone who abuses women looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I... are you waiting for me to say a thing then? No, I, I'm technically supposed to go next. So. <laughs> you technically go ahead. I get, I get to. I get to follow that. I yep. mean, I think that I, I think that I agree in in um, many different ways that uh, rehabilitation can be possible for people, and but I also agree that you know the infrastructure does not exist at all, and that nothing anyone is doing so far seems like a legitimate step towards rehabilitation, I think, you know, I mean, uh, even the people who, I guess, relatively speaking, you know, I mean, aren't, aren't exactly Harvey Weinstein, like Joss Whedon, like, I think that his abuse of power is obviously not nearly on the same scale or horribleness, but I don't think that anything he's done since then has been a meaningful, like, path towards rehabilitation, and I don't think that uh, he actually intends to, which is, or maybe he does, but, you know, in a vague way that's not, you know, like, in a way that's like a, I am embarrassed and I feel guilty, and that's it. Like, you know, that there's a but I don't know I mean I can't actually speak for him only based on what uh, he's presented to the media world and I'm not super impressed with that but I I think that yeah um, I don't know how to I don't know how to reconcile any of that either. I had a similar uh, feeling to Ruben lately about people being beyond redemption and uh, it made me profoundly sad. I didn't know how to handle it. So, 
Uh, I didn't mean to pass the buck by being just as intense, but sorry, Karen. Oh, wait. Just wait until the intensity happens, you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the path to rehab exists. I, mm. I feel like it's incredibly fucked up to side with the person who needs to be rehabilitated instead of the people who have been um, victims of their actions. Mm -hmm. I think that saying, yeah, you need to like go and see a therapist or yeah, you need to be electroshocked into <laughs> believing something else is just nonsense to me. I think mm -hmm. that um, that's not the issue. That's not the primary issue. The issue should be how to support and how to um, give all of the effort that you possibly can to the people who have been affected, whether it's like directly or indirectly. Um, I think that people who are coming out and saying, yes, I need help, uh, and are getting that support from other men <laughs> um, is like a bit of a a bit of a shit show. Like it just it doesn't make sense to me. Where somebody like Louis C.K. will say, "Yeah, you know, I shouldn't have masturbated in front of these women. Like that was something that you know I I really shouldn't have done. I really need help." And then for men in the comedy industry to say like oh my gosh like he's such a good guy we need to do everything that we can to band together and make sure that he has the resources that he needs to get better fuck that <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping fuck you'd that say that shit. at some point because i was gonna say so <laughs> It just makes zero sense to me, and it's not a sob story about how he is so broken and how he is so uh, unable to contain his, like, sexually abusive actions. Like, <laughs> just don't be a, a fucking asshole who wanks off in front of people to make them feel powerless when you have all of the power. Like, mm -hmm. that's your rehabilitation. Yeah. Like, just recognize that, and you're fine. Like, if you can just, if you can make that connection without saying, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a sex addict, or, <laughs> oh, my gosh, like, I just didn't realize that that was wrong to do. Like, anyway, yeah. I I have so many thoughts and feelings on I that. Think, and uh, just so you know, Basil and I agree that every apology or statement that has come down the chute so far from anyone that has been accused is a ball of flaming crap. Like, none yeah. of us are on board of the idea that any oh. of these men are actually on the path to rehabilitation. This is like a... I'm not accusing. <laughs> I'm not accusing at uh, all. I'm just saying that I'm so is... frustrated that this is the continual story that's coming out from people who have been abusive. And, like, absolutely, I'm not pointing fingers in your direction. Yeah, this is, I'm uh... just saying that it's so crazy that this is the this is the defense. Yeah, and I, I would just add that, like, you know, I the question that I came up with were the ones that you know were things that merited some debate either 
in general or possibly between us because I didn't know everyone's opinions. But there were certain things that I either knew that we or the public in general agreed on enough that I felt like it didn't necessarily need to be asked. Like I know that everyone on this podcast, for instance, would be in the what's called the Believe Women camp. So we ha- <laughs> there's no question we haven't asked like whether or not, you know, uh, we need to talk about trials or like evidence or things like yeah. that. That question is not coming up on this podcast because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're not talking about the judicial system in terms of handling sure. these problems. We're talking about how individual consumers who consume art, how they approach whether or not they should continue to consume art or art that maybe exists in the past, how they're supposed to view it through a different lens. You know, so we're all on that board and then again we're asking a lot of questions about (laughs) abusive people because the public in general whether or not their actions actually reflected agree that victims of abuse should be treated well and but then they put all of their focus because there's debate on the actual abusive people and you're right that that like probably makes the victims feel like shit And, like, honestly, uh, I, I appreciate all of the questions and how thought out they were um, and are. And I think there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that, like, this is coming from a place of um, just wanting to figure out what the, what the context is in terms of um, these people who have done these atrocious things and how to, how to reconcile that in terms of enjoying or appreciating the work that they've done so there's don't don't mistake me there's no there's no finger pointing that's happening here and i don't believe that like i absolutely understand ruben i think that it's just the rehabilitation question has sort of it's a bit of a hot topic or a hot subject because um a lot of people at this point are hedging their bets um in the industry and saying yeah, I need help, and coming out before accusations um, <laughs> are exposed against them and saying that they need this help, but that that's, that's the problem. Like, that's, right. that's not helpful. So, I mean... Um, they don't need help. No. Other people. And, and so that's just, that's just my, uh, my stating that my frustration is with these people who are able to somehow coerce other folks into believing like oh it's just that you have a problem and that you need you need to have the support of a community behind you to be able to resolve that problem whereas that's uh yeah bullshit (laughs) i don't really think so Mm -hmm. go ahead oh it's something that you implied without right stating is that um rehabilitation is uh, active it's not uh, something that happens in your brain it's you don't yeah. in your heart you know figure out how to not be abusive like this isn't a good example for this specific situation but let's say you ran a overtly racist news network for the last 20 years we'll call it Fox News. I just came up with that idea <laughs> off the top of my head. And you decided, hey, I agree with this criticism that's been leveled against me. You know, you don't go to rehab for your racism. You hire a black editor <laughs> to work near the top of your 
business model, you take active engagement to do the correct thing in the future. You know, if you had a sexist business model that wasn't abusive, you know, you might hire women in more positions of power or just more women overall and listen to their advice. <laughs> That's more problematic mm -hmm. when it comes to an abusive person. We don't want Joss Whedon to be surrounded by beautiful women. That's not the solution mm -hmm. to his problem. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think that, um, and, what was I gonna, um, oh, that, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, like, that, I mean, unless the solution is to put all the people in jail, like, uh, that, in you know, some ways, like, you know, people are going to con continue to exist in social life, and so you know, with things that are now out there. I don't know, you know, like, because like, I feel like that's sort of one of the things, like, I mean, I feel like it would be strong enough to just say, okay, you don't, your career's done for good. Like, that's that. But that, and I think, and then, then whatever rehabilitation they do is like a personal thing if they choose to do it like to try and make some kind of reparation to the people that they've hurt to in the future not act that way etc cetera, etc cetera. and i don't know you know like i don't at least for me i don't know like as we've talked about earlier sort of like i don't know that professional rehabilitation is anything i care that much about you know like no artist is so good that I would not be fine with them never making anything again if it came out that they were a scumbag. Mm -hmm. But other people feel differently, obviously, and that, you know, I mean, huh? but it reminds me of like what Jonathan Rosenbaum wrote about Pulp Fiction and just the year 1994 and cinema in general was like how many critics were fawning all over themselves talking about it as a story of redemption. And he's like, how come only murderers deserve redemption in film? <laughs> like, what about all the people who never murdered anyone? They're not worthy of redemption in that, you know? Uh, so that, like, you know, Hollywood loves redemption stories. And I think, like, in some ways, like, <laughs> you being a bad person is, like, you know, a story that they are excited to tell that you're not a bad person anymore and that's like an amazing narrative arc that your real life took just like your movies <laughs> yeah. yeah being rotten to the core in a way that's irreparable is not a very good three-act structure <laughs> <laughs> however charles manson would be an antithesis to that <laughs> but oh, yes i mean i think not to be too timely I think sure. probably Weinstein <laughs> and Spacey are an antithesis sure. to that too. I don't, I don't think there's anything good about those people. No. Yeah, I mean, Harvey, like, even before I knew all the sexual stuff, I knew that Harvey Weinstein was a horrible bully and kind of a disgusting person, like, socially and professionally. And so it doesn't, you know, like, there doesn't seem to be anything about him that seems redeeming that 
make me feel like, oh, he, he has value to society. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like we've answered the last question as well. A little bit. <laughs> Would said process Disagree with be me if I'm wrong? enough for you in this instance? Are these actions by, beyond rehabilitation, Basil? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I, yeah, we, we have kind of talked about all this. I mean, like I said, I can't think of a process. I mean, I guess, mm -hmm. like, if a person who was famous for like a creative famous person said okay i've done enough damage like i'm i'm not gonna work anymore and then i'm gonna do what i can to make reparations to the people that i've hurt i, I don't know that that would be enough but like i feel like that's the only if if the institutions themselves aren't gonna take that power away from people that would be the only like seriously principled thing to do but I don't think anyone will actually do that. Like, I, you know, I mean, Louis C.K. said he's stepping out, but like in a year, I bet he has another special. Or maybe mm -hmm. two if, years, like. Yeah. Four months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like you just need to take a two-week hiatus and everybody will forget about it because the news cycle will shift to something else that's happened that's way more reprehensible so just <laughs> wait it out everything will be fine yeah i mean like john lasseter or whatever he's he didn't even get fired he's just taking a six month leave of absence from pixar to think about Disney. what he did yep <laughs> he's on timeout <laughs> stop hugging people <laughs> you dick and touching their legs while they're sitting next to you Gross. Yeah. Oh, all of the things. I'm. I'm not trying to minimize it. No. I'm no. Just... No. I know. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the part when I read about how women that worked with them had developed the Lassiter, where they sit really far hunched forward and put their legs on uh, their arms on their legs, just so that he doesn't touch their leg while they're sitting in a meeting. I was like, that's insane that that became like a thing that. I'm just like, oh yeah, here. Here's what you got to do. I mean, that's the I mean, problem. I guess, Women yeah, are survivors. <laughs> yeah. Then they do what they can, but men would last like 30 seconds if the situation was suddenly reversed. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. But that's the thing. It's like when they have so much power and control, you just yeah, you try to survive completely. however you can. You know what I mean? Like Oh, I, I totally get that you guys understand. It's just, it's so messed up what people have to do to accept the really terrible behavior that is somehow looked um, looked over by other people. It's, it's insane. If you are listening to this and you haven't thought about yourself as being guilty of these behaviors, if you think just coasting above it on your moral high ground, I'd ask for you to take some time and really consider who you've been over the course of your life and the ways in which you've used your own small power to make people deeply uncomfortable. Because you have. Thank you, Ruben. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's a very ally thing to say. <laughs> very appreciated. Well, I've done it, um, and I feel like shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a good ally. <laughs> well, I think that that's the thing. It's like you you can recognize that those are those are moments that you haven't been necessarily at your best and you can understand and comprehend them and own up to them. So maybe rehabilitation <laughs> is possible. I mean, it just depends on it's easy the to person and the level. To say that one of the reasons why I believe in rehabilitation is that I know that everyone needs it in their life, and I don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to live in a world in which I could do something consciously or even ignorantly that would remove me from it. Yeah. I like the world. <laughs> Um, so it's, I, I'll admit that wanting to believe in rehabilitation is a self-interested act. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm with you there. I've definitely, I mean, I'm sure I've mentioned it on one of the two podcasts before, but as part of a very big friend group that I intentionally removed myself from because I was so anxious about the idea that I might do something uh, embarrassing or, you know, not uh, not woke enough and that they'd kick me out for it. And it was a really, it was a really tough time. So <laughs> We all try to do our best. Yeah. That's not, that's well, not, not true. All of us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all three of us try pretty hard to do it. That's what I mean. I mean the three of us, not like the world at large. The world at large is a bag of dicks. Yeah. But I've definitely been recently, really in generally over like the last three years, probably doing more of what Basil just suggested, which is like, well, I'm going to fail, so I might as well just crawl into bed and not really interact <laughs> with as few people as possible. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to, how to be good. <laughs> I think that that's a thing because it's, it's tough because um, people will say that they don't owe you the emotional labor to be able to help uh, clear up those um, gray areas, mm-hmm. uh, which I disagree with. I think that it's incredibly important for people to uh, who are marginalized to help and to say, like, no, what you're saying is wrong, instead of just griping about it, or to say, like, here's how you can be better, instead of taking that uh, that negative emotional torch, uh, emotional labor torch up. So I think I think it's just a, a very nebulous time and place to be in right now, and um, I wish that that there was a little bit more openness in communication and in desire to educate. Um, and I think that people who do their own research and their own uh, looking into how they can be better allies is phenomenal. Um, but not every single person is going to do that. And I think that the only way to really change behavior is to be somebody who can recognize that ill, that that poor behavior and raise your hand and say, yo, that's not cool. Yeah. So I mean, I think that, again, like almost everything about interacting socially, I feel like you can read a lot, but then 
you still need to practice doing it, like, by interacting with people, and that without, uh, like, no amount of, like, reading a lot of, you know, super uh, feminist texts are going to keep, like, ensure that you won't just stick your foot in your patriarchal mouth once in a while. I read James Baldwin and Angela Davis, and now I have ten black friends. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my brothers. <laughs> Fist pumps all around. <laughs> yeah, so I think that, uh, but it is like, it, it's, a, it's a tenuous, or I mean, like it's a, it's a complicated situation because obviously people who are very involved in that like when there is a point at which you might you can reach your breaking point and be like listen it's not my job to educate you and that is like part of that's a fair stance to take yeah because (laughs) if you're doing it all day every day it's it's yeah exactly exhausting but it's but that it is also i don't know you know like it is at least i feel like if we live in a society everyone's responsibility to educate each other at least a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean I that's completely believe that's what that. a relationship is it's you know mm-hmm. again what i sort of talked about before it's like i think people recognize a lot of things on like an individual level that they can't seem to transpose to a group level sometimes like uh if basil and i are going to have a friendship that means at certain points basil's going to do more work than me in particular annoyingly if i'm the one messing up basil is probably Mm going to have to do more work if he wants to retain the relationship the two of us have but hopefully the belief is if we have a good relationship that that won't be a big thing and will balance out over time yeah yeah but it is exhausting, you know, as someone who is, you know, neuroatypical, sometimes I'm talking with my parents and they'll just say something and I want to just be like, just look up depression on the internet. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have to explain to you what this is like, you know, every week of my life for the rest of our lives. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got that. I got that really hard (laughs) um i've given my mom so many articles about bipolar disorder and she like refuses to look at them and it's incredibly frustrating but yeah that sounds yeah yeah. that sounds awful (laughs) i just i just have a very distant and superficial relationship with my parents that's how i deal with (laughs) perfect i don't uh, I don't know. Keep you guys that are going to disappoint me if, <laughs> if I invite you in, so you're just out. <laughs> Shit got real, guys. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's fine. I'm going to see my dad tomorrow. He's going to pick me up at 7. I'm going to eat some Thanksgiving dinner and then go home, having talked about nothing important to me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, um, oh my God, that's right. Happy American <laughs> Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Thank Lovely you. holiday to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> we have ours in like July because that's mm. when all of the plants start to die. 
Yeah. It's a joke. That was a, that was a joke. That's, what, that's when it gets cold there. That's when the snow starts falling. And you have to find something to be thankful for. Exactly. It's like, well, yeah. I guess we don't have sun ever again, but okay. My, my problematic holiday celebration is uh, Independence Day. I'm like, you know what? The U.S. is 1,365th good. So one day of the year I can celebrate it. If the other 364 <laughs> days of the year I'm going to critique it. So I'll spend time with my family and I'll eat good size, but I'm not going to celebrate U.S. settling. <laughs> European settling sure. the U.S. tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> Reasonable. But uh, on July 4th you'll see me out there celebrating democracy and the <laughs> the mythological dream that is not been even close to achieved in the u.s nope. <laughs> um, fantastic <laughs> that's my one day of the year where i pretend that the u.s isn't terrible uh, <laughs> 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 um there's something that i was gonna say i think about buffy or angel in particular but now i can't remember what it was I think it was just a joke, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can save that till the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Little teaser. <laughs> okay. Next episode, Ruben has a joke that he remembered. <laughs> um, or does he? <laughs> <laughs> I. Shall we call it? Yeah. I do think that Joss Whedon is a good writer, though, so, still. <laughs> um, I, yeah, fair. Uh, and I also think that he's a bad person, and in the mm -hmm. personal, I don't, again, I don't know if I get to make this decision, but personal, I, I feel like he is someone who could be rehabilitated, but I don't know what that path looks like. And just like Basil, if he said, I can't do work anymore, or that's what people decided, that would be fine. No great loss in the scheme of things. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I remember what it was. It was that uh, it's a sad uh, commentary, I think, on the state of film or popular film and TV in the 90s that uh, comparatively Buffy was feminist just by virtue of having women with agency and faults, like mm -hmm. <laughs> the meeting that very low bar standard, that was what made it feminist, was that mm -hmm. the women weren't just plot devices for men slash, you know, lacking character slash, you know, perfect uh, virgins, Madonnas to look up to. Right. <laughs> and that... <laughs> I mean, that that the characters do develop over time. But I feel like that's a thing that uh, is generally the most lost or whatever in those kinds of, especially like the one-hour shows. Like maybe men characters would develop, but female characters very often basically the same from season to season. And this it's a, it's a show with the. Uh, emotional continuity the things that happened to them before affect the decisions that they make going forward just like a real person 
and the antithesis of the place where he was working for the last 10 years, the Marvel Universe, where (laughs) things just happen, and then the next movie comes along, and it's like The Simpsons, everyone just starts at zero again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, we'll be... Like I said, releasing the ones that we recorded last year for the next couple weeks. And then as soon as uh, I've released all of those, then we'll be releasing the ones that we're going to start recording now. (laughs) Hooray. A a fun jump in pop culture references coming at you soon. (laughs) (laughs) And probably more aggressive slash angry takes about characters like Xander and the ability of the show to critique its own misogyny. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.